The MX Vice Show. Welcome everybody to episode 155 of the MX Vice Show. For this episode, we're joined by AMA Motocross, Supercross and former GP star as well in Zach Osborne. But before we welcome him to the show, we'd like to thank Parts Europe. Parts Europe distributes spare parts, accessories and rider equipment for all motorcycle segments in Europe. We support the sport tagline is fortified with the Thor and Moose House brands and their support of world elite MX riders like Landrum Prado, Langenfelder, Guadagnini, Jonas, Bogers and nine times world champion Thor ambassador Tony Caroli. Your Parts Europe dealer has access to all the big brands for your motocross and enduro bike. Necken, Pro Circuit, FMF, ODI, Cycra, Renthal Recluse, and many more in stock and ready to be shipped. Check out their website at partsyourup.eu or contact your local Parts Europe dealer. With a dealer network of over 10,000 shops, we're sure there is one close to you. All right, first, welcome Brad Wheeler to the show. IMX Vice Tester, he's joining us for this one as well. How's life, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Still stuck here and rainy britain um did manage to get out on the bike for a little bit on the weekend but um yeah it was it was a bit of a bit of a mess it did come good towards the end but um yeah in terms of testing didn't want a lot of um productive hours we'll say but um yeah still loving life ready for christmas and then uh yeah ready to get ready to watch the may one so um yeah all good though Awesome, mate. Cheers for taking the time to join us and welcome Zacho. How's life? And thanks for joining us in the busy schedule, mate. I'm sure you're pretty flat out with everything at the moment. Yeah, uh, I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm just cruising along at the moment, actually. Um, a couple of weeks ago, just launched a new training service with my trainer and a uh, longtime friend, uh, Ryan Rowell, um, in Torque Fit. Um, and yeah, just have a couple athletes, Joey Savachi and Jack Chambers here in Florida. So I've been training pretty much flat out with those guys. Done a bit of riding a couple days ago for the first time in a couple weeks and, uh, really had a good time. We've had some, some good weather in Florida here lately, had a little storm over the weekend, but other than that, it's been really, really nice. So, um, yeah, just enjoying it, getting in the spirit for Christmas with the kids and, um, yeah, all that comes with that. So yeah, everything's good. Yeah, mate, it's kind of a logical step that you get into the training side of it. Obviously, you you know, you've done so much, you've experienced so much, you've got so much knowledge, you've won so much, so your insight and obviously traveling, racing all over the world in the GP scene and in America and just doing it the hard way, mate. So those sort of experience, it's money, can't buy stuff. So obviously you're working with, you know, Chambers, especially from our side of the year, mate. So, you know, he's great doing what he's doing. I've spoken to him a couple of times and he really appreciates all you do for him and the help and the insight you give him. So yeah, to tell us a little bit more about the training stuff you're doing, mate. And I guess it's just a great fit given your experience and knowledge from everything from bike setup to physical preparation. It's a smart move, mate. And I'm sure a lot of people will benefit. Yeah. So um, it's just something that I've always kind of had an interest in. And, um, you know, even through my career, I've always done a lot of reading, a lot of learning, a lot of different methods, different, um, you know, hacks and stuff like that. So 
um, for me, it's just sort of a way to give back. And also um, for Ryan, who is um, partners with me in the deal, um, he's, you know, moto crazy. And um, we had a really good little stint in 2016 before I went to Alden's and um, we kind of felt like we had a little bit of unfinished business. So this was a really nice way to kind of uh, link back up and um, put things together for, uh, for us and um, kind of share our knowledge with other people. Um, for me, I've never really been that into, say, like day-to-day rider coaching um, at the track. I, I do enjoy that a bit, but not um, not every day, not always, not all the time, you know. Um, I'm more uh, enjoy the training side of things. So, um, yeah, this just seemed like sort of the next step for me um, for my future. Yeah, it's pretty cool, mate. And obviously with Jack Chambers, he's been doing some preparation with you. Had a really impressive sort of first season in the GPs, mate. You know, he deserves credit for taking the opportunity on and for making that step because it's no joke, like speaking to him, you know, it was certainly thrown in the deep end and, you know, he had the bike issues at the start and he really sort of got into a groove and began to hold his own. Injuries didn't help, but yeah, looking forward to another really solid year for him next year. The, I guess, what are your expectations and what are his expectations as well? Probably battling around the top five and maybe could nick a podium because he's a super talented rider, isn't he, mate? Yeah, I think he needs to build into it a little bit. Um, you know, last year he had a couple of decent results when he got there and then um, obviously his foot injury wasn't ideal, but realistically he hadn't ridden outdoors since the previous m- May or yeah, May, I guess you would say. And even that was um, very limited. He only did two rounds of the outdoors before he got hurt at the third round. So um, nearly a, a year off of outdoors, I think he rode two or three times here and then two or three times when he got there and then straight to the first GP. So, you know, for me, I think the the ceiling is a lot higher than what people have seen from Jack, um, especially uh, outdoors and, and there last year. Um so for me, he needs to just start off with some top tens and just kind of get himself in a solid position and then he can just battle up from there. You know, I think he he and Steve both um, have some building to do uh, over the next two years. And I think that um, that's that's the main goal for Jack is just to um, improve consistency and um, really be effective long term uh, down the stretch of the season. Yes. How much does Jack kind of look to you with obviously not many trainers in America have been to GPs, let alone race as many as you have? How much is he looking to you for bike set up and uh, things like that when he, when obviously he's not he's still relatively new to the GP scene? Yeah, I mean, I think more than that side of things, more like the lifestyle stuff he looks to me and um, obviously training stuff and um, decision making. Uh, I've never, I had never ridden a Kawasaki, um, big bike until two weeks ago. He was like, we were riding at his ranch and, um, I was just on my 125 and he was like, Hey, ride my bike for a little while. And I was like, I was trying to think of when or if I had ever ridden a Kawasaki and literally had never ridden a Kawasaki, um, big bike in my life. So, um, we, you know, for, for me to kind of give him bike setup tips, I don't think that's great, but like, you know, um, once we get started here, he's, he's begun riding again now, but just last week and just kind of light riding. But, um, I really want to make sure that we go through all of the, all of the settings and all of the options that he has for his bike. And also, um, just cranking clickers like, Hey, let's go 10 clicks one way incrementally and 10 clicks the other way so that you know what that feels like and you know what um you know i'm feeling this so maybe i had this feeling here and this worked so you know 
cross-referencing that stuff for him um, and simplifying it a little bit is, is the main thing for me. Um, when it comes to the bike for Jack, just making it as, as simple as possible. Um, um, from the other side of things, obviously you've worked a lot with Steve Dixon, his team manager. Does he is he ever in contact with you to see what he can do to get the best out of Jack? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I never really stopped talking to Steve. Um, he he's always kind of called me and always stayed in touch. And um, also with Ash, you know, I've always been in touch with Ash, and um, I uh, I wouldn't say that they look to me for a lot of decisions, but definitely. Um, they called me on some stuff and, um, when they were in need of a rider this year, they, I think I was probably the last person that they called, but they landed on somebody. So, um, yeah, it, it's always, I've always had a good relationship with Steve. I kind of, I struggled with Steve a little bit when I first went there because it was such a contrast to like what I was used to as far as, um, I, I don't even know how to say it, but like organization and just the way things ran. Um, but now looking back and kind of seeing what I learned there, I like, I use more of it than I, than I ever thought I would like, uh, in day-to-day -day life and, um, people around me in, in some situations, especially with racing, they get kind of spun out or, um, get excited when things aren't done. And I'm like, well, you know, I've, I've seen this before. It's all going to pan out in the end, you know, and that's a lot of just just Dixon experience for me. Like, um, I, I can use I can use those experiences now, and I try to tell Jack that. But when you're in it, and when you're you know, racing is your life, and it seems like every lap is just the most important thing on planet Earth. Um, it's easy to lose sight that there's so much more to life than that little pocket of racing that you're kind of currently in. Yeah, mate, it's so cool. And obviously you would have learned so much being over there with Steve and the crew. And I guess what are the sort of the key, you know, learning experiences and lessons you sort of extracted from it? Obviously, there's so many things that are different to America. Obviously, the travel, the schedule, the sort of vibes, the personality of people, how you approach it, how they approach it. Obviously, the bikes, the tracks, there's just so much change, you know, intensity and just your success, I guess, what would you put that down to the way you adapted so well? I guess there was a bit of that sort of all in, no option of failure. I remember you speaking on a podcast with Tyler Rattray on one of those shifting gears ones, which you did. So there's just so much to sort of take in when you go over there and just racing is just that small part of it, like you said. So what are your sort of your keys to success over there in the GPs, mate? Yeah. I mean, for me, I was like, a, you know, a, a child prodigy, I guess you would say here in the States. And um, I never really like enjoyed racing that much because it was so much like pressure for me as, as a young guy. And when I went there, those guys were just so passionate about racing and they, they didn't care. You know, Steve didn't care what we needed, what it was, whether he had money for it or not, he was going to spend the money. He was going to get what we needed. We were going to do what we needed to do. Um, and that was like a pretty unique experience to me just just from a standpoint of being from like a corporate, um, corporate, uh, environment here and then going there and it just being like, Hey, we're just going racing no matter what. Um, we just got to do what we got to do. Um, so it was, it was a strange thing, um, going there, but in the end it, it showed me how much fun racing really can be if you're with a group of guys that have the passion for it and that are, um, really into it for all the right reasons. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And then moving the focus back to you and your future, mate, obviously you've got the training, already doing the training. And then are you going to sort of branch out and do those vets races? Obviously there was a few murmurings of you doing some other series, but I suppose you're in semi-retirement mode, would you say? Obviously the GNCC thing was really cool what you did, but that's coming to a stop at the moment, mate. So I guess what are the plans for you in 2024? Even something like commentary would be pretty awesome to get you on in some capacity. So have you got a few things in the works? And I guess for a lot of races, it's kind of nice just to spend some time at home with the family too isn't it yeah so um we we actually moved house in june um we built a house and uh moved for like a what we feel is like an extended period so um when we moved in june i felt like we just kind of like halfway moved in and didn't really get get things dialed in you know and so for the last like four weeks i've been grinding on getting everything dialed in and i'm in a much better spot like mentally and um just with my organization and stuff that's one thing that's really really I feel like to be an athlete at a high level, you have to have is that organization and that um, ease of use of everything around you other than, you know, what you're doing, you know, that the job is hard. Um, So I've been, been really grinding down on that. um, Like I said, for like a month or six weeks now. And um, I've been training a ton um, and I'm in a really good spot with my fitness. I didn't really, have a great year this year just because I broke my arm. Um, that cost me like eight weeks and then another four weeks to get back racing and blah, blah, blah. So it's, it's just been one thing after the next this year. Um, I, I, I may go racing again. I'm not really sure yet. Um, definitely going to put some time into the, to the training program and, um, to helping other people and just kind of see what pops up. Um, there's already been a few things that have come along. So, um, we'll just have to see kind of what plays out over the next two or three months and see where we get to. How's the, how's the prep coming along for the VMX DN Fox Hills? Does the bike build fully underway now, or are we still, we still on eBay looking for. <laughs> no, dude, they're, they're hard to come by here. Um, and I haven't, I haven't even started yet to be honest. Um, but I'm definitely looking forward to the van. I think it's going to be awesome. It's, it's been great so far, uh, the first two years and, just every year it, or both years so far, it feels like it just grew exponentially, you know, and I just, I don't know how much bigger it can get, but it seems like it will, you know, and people just are really, really into it. And it's, it's so cool to see um, in a time where most things at the top level feel like kind of cookie cutter or um, stale. It's, it's got a new look on it. So it's really cool. What, what do you think it is about that event? that's just attracted like, yourself and Ryan Villapoto as well as the just the num- sheer number of fans that turned up to watch I don't know that it's one thing um I think you know if you look at a venue like Matterly um with the best GP riders in the world it should be the the event that pulls the people right like it should be the pinnacle of British motocross in my opinion um but Fox Hills kind of takes the cake there I feel like I, I think that um, people enjoy seeing something different. Um, like I said, it's, it's not cookie cutter. It's, um, also some good racing. Like this year, there was some actual good bar banging racing in the, in the, all the classes. Um, so I think it's, it's a good weekend. It's bank holiday weekend, which is a big hit with British people. Um, people are off work and, you know, it's like the sort of the end of summer, right? Like that's what I always kind of took it as, um, and typically good weather in September. So like, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot that's wrong with it. So I think that that's why it works so well. 
people have a good time and um, tell their buddies about it and more people come back. Yeah, it's so cool. It's a great weekend. And obviously, just for some of your plans, obviously, you're going to be at A1 and many Supercross rounds this year. And you plan to get to some MXGP rounds to support Jack and be there for him and just check it out alongside the vet stuff. And it's pretty cool. Obviously, you've got the door open for still racing. You've still got the number 16 too, don't you? No, I don't have 16 this year. I lost 16. So um, oh. you can only now there's a rule that you can only petition um, to keep your number uh, for one year. So my one year was last year. Um so I lost 16 this year. So if I go racing, then I'll have to choose something else. Um, maybe bring back 338. I don't really know. Um, but yeah, I would, I would like to go to um, Argentina with Jack just to see how things go and get the thing, get it started right, you know. Um, and then if there's some opportunity to go to some more, I'll, I'll definitely be there. Um, you know, it's a long season um, and there's a lot of races. So I'm sure I'll be at some more. Yeah, awesome, mate. Did you have plenty of offers for WSX too? Obviously, it's a totally different beast. And when you've been out of Supercross for a while, it's probably quite the challenge. But was that something you would have been a highly sought after rider? And just your overall thoughts on the series too. Do you like what they're doing? It's cool. More jobs, more riders, more sort of interest for the sport, isn't it? Yeah, I've had a few offers. I, I was kind of, I'm kind of out of the, I would say, Supercross brain here in the States because just the level's so high. And um, I know how long it takes to get to that level. And having been been drawn away from it for so long, um, I don't know that that's really in the cards for me anymore, but some of the WSX tracks, the specs a little bit lower and, um, a little bit, uh, you know, tighter racing. Like the one in Abu Dhabi was more like an arena cross, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with, but, um, that definitely tickles my fancy a little bit more. Um, I, I think that they have the right idea. Uh, in my opinion, I think that, um, they are on the right, you know, the overall, um, gist of it is is the right idea and i think that as long as it can stick around for a little while and just draw a couple more riders each year that are different a little bit more high level and you know just continue to build i think that um long term it's it's in the right spot i've got a uh, i've got a couple of questions from twitter and instagram from like followers from as far as if you're if you're cool with that um yeah the first one was what's what was your who was your favorite team manager like one that sort of would always go above and beyond easy to chat to more like a friend um well at, at husky we had um bobby hewitt and steve westfall um and that combo was probably my favorite bobby was like kind of uh kind of like team owner and scuba was more like team manager so that dynamic worked really well but bobby as a as an owner boss um was really good at letting us kind of do our thing and be who we were and not be so corporate. And I think that that's why we were mostly, you know, successful, um, as a, as a whole with so many different characters and so many different ideas and looks to things, um, is because of, of those two guys allowing us to be, uh, be ourselves and be who we are. Yeah. And, uh, your, your favorite GP track that they, don't go to anymore that they don't go to anymore mm, bell puig probably I, I really thought that was a great track um a lot of character cool jumps um just a just a good track i think i, I like that one a lot no what other ones they don't go to anymore oh lear up lear up's a great track much better in my opinion than like a llama or somewhere like that um yeah it was the only really, like sand the, track yeah. proper sand track that i ever got on with that i had some okay results there yeah i kind of i kind of miss seeing bulgaria 
on the schedule. Oh yeah, for that's a good one. That track was awesome. Look, yeah, it wasn't really my my thing because it was so fast, but um, it is a proper racetrack. Like, it, there's a lot of character there. Yeah, there's so many cool places you obviously visited, mate. And how was the sand adaptation for you? Obviously, very different types of sand you get in Europe and America and where you're from. So was there sort of a steep learning curve? And obviously, you hear about all the guys of America that come over the nations and sort of nothing can really prepare you. And even the Aussie guys that head to Europe, you know, they're grinding out the motos at Lommel and training there. So it's just a totally different sort of feeling. So how was it for you from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a learned thing. It's something that, you know, those guys start when they're little little bitty guys and just like we start on dirt or whatever here it's it's tough you know I really needed more more coaching I would say than anything more um wasn't really more hours I just needed more guidance and um I didn't do a good job of seeking that out or um finding help I guess um which is something I wish I would have done the last year and a half I had Kenneth Gunderson um helping me and that made a big difference. I think my best result was at uh Lear Up in two thousand twelve. I got third in the heat race and then I think I went like six five in the motos, which was really, really, really good for me, you know, like I was happy with that. Um but I I, I just wish I would have gotten guidance sooner. Yeah, I suppose that follows in nicely. What are your thoughts on the EMX feeder system and how sort of excellent it is? And it's a great breeding ground for the young talents to make the step up, especially EMX 250 to MX2. You see guys like Mark Antoine Rossi and Zanke this year at France, both getting in the top 10. So I guess it's a really good framework for riders to progress through. And how do you compare that to the AMA structure? Obviously, the amateur racing, there's a lot of chat about that and maybe not long enough motos, not enough races. But I suppose they're sort of trying to improve things with the futures and the combines. So your thoughts on both of the setups on each side of the pond, mate? Yeah, for me, um, the feeder system's far superior in Europe. Um for getting those guys ready to race GPs than it is here for getting those guys to race ready to race um, pro nationals. Um, a because they're there a lot more weekends. B because there's a lot more weight put on that series. Um, I just think that overall the EMX 125 is a good starter class. Then you get to EMX 250 that puts you in the eyes of the teams and then you know, you can find a factory ride and, and carry on. But um, yeah, to me, that that's a much better, clearer picture path to how it should be done, what it looks like, what it's going to take for you. You know, each guy's different. And um, that is the way forward, in my opinion. Do you think with uh, the combines and stuff that are doing it, the the AMA Nationals, they're kind of heading in the, in the right direction with that? Um. Sure. I mean, it's a step forward, right? But like, um, to me, I think that the teams here would be willing to support something like, I'm not saying like exactly like MX250, but something along those lines. I think that there's um, want or um, need or ask for that sort of thing. Um, so it's just like, why aren't we doing it in a sense? You know, um, we base pretty much everything uh, in America off of results at Loretta Lens, um, which is a good track, a good racetrack for showing uh, a guy's potential and all that stuff. But at the same time, you know, they could be racing on the tracks that they're about to, to have to race on to make a living um, each weekend. So why, why aren't we allowing them to, allowing them to do that? 
you think maybe they could sort of do like an east and a west thing like every round um like an east and a west but as the the amateurs obviously still keep your 450 and your 250 class but then have amateurs like an east championship and a west championship and then maybe have a the final at the last round or at one of the SMX rounds or something like that. Sure. I think that that is, is an easy solution in my opinion, something that, um, you know, they could pretty easily fill a gate with, you know? Um, so I think that that that's a, that's actually a really good idea for it. I mean, um, do three West coast rounds at Paula Hangtown and Washougal and then do three East coast rounds somewhere else and then meet in the middle for the end or whatever. Um, that's, it's a really good idea. So, uh, I don't know why they don't do something like that. Yeah. It's cool thoughts, mate. And just wanted to get your take on the overall sort of introduction of the SMX playoff. Do you think it's a good thing to extend the season like that? Obviously the money side of it's excellent. It's probably not so fun for some of the mechanics and the team members extending it out like that. And it's probably going to put a lot of pressure on the motocross the nations. Obviously this year with the American situation, it was a bit of a one-off with the team changes and so much going on in the background with a lot of things from energy drinks to guys changing teams and whatnot. So, and just being burnt out as well, that probably played a role. So your thoughts on just extending that season, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing in your eyes? Yeah, I think it's a good thing. Um, I've always been a proponent for more racing and less practice. And um, I don't think the less practice thing happened, but the more racing thing happened and um, they're getting... Um, subsidized for the more racing so to me it's it's a good thing um anytime that there's that much money added to it um brings more value um brings different venues brings different crowds you know you get different packages for tv and stuff um to me it was it was a good play yeah and just your thoughts on the motocross the nation situation with america this year it was the awesome the ktm and husqvarna guys stepped up there and did their country proud put in a valiant effort on a really tough track for sure there's no doubt that they were challenged by that so yeah you've got to respect it that they went and hopefully we can get a full strength team maybe at madley basin next year which i'm sure you'll probably be keen to get to and visit some old friends and steve and all that mate so ideally you'd probably want to send a sexton tomac deegan team for next year so your thoughts on those two things yeah, I think um, it was kind of a shame that it went down to the wire, like for them to send a team like it did. But yeah, it is what it is. I understand that there's a lot of factors at play, but there's also a lot of guys who want to go. And as defending champions, we couldn't sit at home. So um, to me, you have to make some better decisions sooner and um, make it happen. And as far as Matterly goes, I think Matterly is one of the best racetracks in the world if not the best. And um, I think it's a great venue for nations. Um, I hope we, that they can have some good weather and, you know, have some good racing. What's uh, what's like your, obviously your big MX ON guy always represented your country, like heart on the sleeve. What's kind of your, the memory that sticks out in the, in the forefront of your mind when you think of the event? Um, I mean, just the, the event as a whole, is pretty incredible from the atmosphere from the fans to just everything that happens there on that weekend um but for me uh like one of the highlights hardest things i've ever done in my life um was there's a a poem written about war um in america i think it's called i'm pretty sure it's called ragged old flag um and uh they i was the team captain in 2019 with justin cooper and jason anderson and they asked me to read that in front of the team and um it was super emotional gnarly experience for me but like looking back it was one of the cooler moments of my life yeah nice that um obviously Aston turned out to be a bit of a a mess 
for the for the whole event. But uh, yeah, I think um, it's fair to say you your your whole team got a lot of props. I think from the whole MX world for for the the effort that you put in. Obviously, it was unfortunate what happened with with Jason and Justin. But um, yeah, I mean, you guys the the videos that you were putting out on the socials and stuff, you could see that the you'd put the effort in, and even even Justin Cooper won the um like the quality race and stuff. So yeah, it was a the the uh <clears throat> the preparation was there and it could have obviously gone a completely different way. But um what do you think it was the weather that kind of let the thing down or do you think it was just the incident with Jason and Justin? No, I honestly believe that we were a podium contender, podium threat there. I don't think we were beating the Dutchies, but um I definitely think we had a chance at at second or third. Um but it was gone lap one of the first moto on Sunday. So that was that. I mean, um, Justin won the, won the heat on Saturday and then got a 28th and a 32nd on Sunday because of circumstances, you know, it was, it was not his fault. It wasn't Jason's fault. It was just racing and it just so happened to be those two guys. So, um, it's just part of it, man. Yeah. It's just racing's brutal. Isn't it mate? Some days it's just luck's not on your side. It is. There's so many things it out is. of control that goes wrong. And, I guess, how are your experience of the fans in Europe and America made any contrasts and key differences? Obviously, we saw it in a this year. They were pretty wild, those French lads, and just absolutely doing crazy stuff. So your take on it all, both sides, mate, they're both passionate, both love it, but they certainly go about it in different ways, don't they? Yeah, I think Euro fans are always top, in my opinion. Um, they're just wild. They're there to have a good time and show some passion for their country, and they never fail to do that. So uh, to me the Euro fans are just next level. Yeah, mate, they're pretty cool, aren't they? And just, you know, another one about sort of any sort of favourite milestones, memories from your time in Europe, and do you sort of look back on things and reflect with a lot of happiness and pride on what you did because it's a pretty inspirational journey to sort of venture into the unknown and embrace that situation. And obviously you hear the cool stories about their sleeping under the truck in Russia and just travelling all these cool places. And obviously that Turkey win in 2009 with the GP win was so special too. So just a couple of moments if you want to pick them out. Oh, yeah. Um I mean, the, the, the whole Russia trip was pretty wild. Um, and it's a very like core memory for me from that time. Um, went there with my, my mom and, uh, Mel Pocock and we like did the tourist thing. We flew there from Latvia straight to Moscow and stayed there for a week. And, um, I was definitely ready to leave, leave by the time Sunday night rolled around. Um, but it was just a, a crazy trip all, all together and something I still tell my kids about today, like just a crazy place. The Turkey story was pretty wild. Just the way that it all came together and to win there, um, was incredible. British GP in 2012, I got on the podium and felt like legitimately like a British person just because they were all so hardcore for me, man. There's, there's so many good stories. I mean, it, it was some of the funnest times of my life, some of the funnest times of my racing career. And, you know, at the time, in a sense, I wished it away a little bit and I wish I had more pictures and I wish I had just embraced it a little bit better, even though I did embrace it, I would say very well and, and a lot better than some other people. But man, it was, it was good fun. Speaking of pictures, the, uh, I've got to ask about the, the scrub picture where like both your feet, are, you kind of stood on the seat sideways what was that an, was that an every lap situation or <laughs> yeah it was um that's in the, if it, there's two there's one from bulgaria that's a little bit like cleaner looking but the one i think you're talking about is from Udavala in sweden 
and he just kind of jumped the finish line tabletop and it was like a, a right down into like a right-hander pocket and then up onto the pit lane straight away. And I don't know, I've always done, I've always scrubbed with no feet, but that one was just like the perfect setup for a right-handed scrub, which is definitely my better side. And um, yeah, it, uh, I don't know. It just turned into like an iconic picture. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably, yeah. Especially one of your most famous pictures, I think. But uh, yeah, the um the other thing I was going to ask was, do you remember um British Championship at Fox Hills? I want to say two thousand and eleven. You were battling with Arno Tonus, and you just cartwheeled at the top of the yes. hill. Yeah, yeah, I feel that one every day. Oh, really? I was literally every day. My shoulders completely just... clouded <laughs> from that. Yeah, I got a. I was. You just lapped me when you did that, so I got a lovely little view of you cartwheeling down the track. <laughs> it was bad. Uh, I my hand came off, and when I went to put my hand back on, I grabbed the front brake and just destroyed myself. That was a bad one. That was two years in a row at Fox Hills, though, for me, because the year before I got a concussion down in the bottom. I scrubbed, and my foot touched the face, and I came off the like the other side, like full Superman, smoked my face on the ground, and. Um, I actually still raced that day, which ended up winning me the British championship. But, um, yeah, two years in a row, Fox Hills got me. So even now when we go back for the VMXD and I'm like a little bit like, you know, chewing nails for the first couple laps. Oh, that's classic, mate. Yeah. It can certainly bite people that track. It certainly had a few guys sort of so yeah, gone down pretty hard this year as well, didn't it, mate? And I guess just looking at the American riders and obviously the way they grow up, would you encourage more guys to do the GPs? Obviously, it's a lot out of the comfort zone. The money plays, you know, a big role and all that kind of stuff. So would you encourage it? And do you think there's much interest in it or it's kind of just a lot of dudes just want to get on focusing on Supercross, don't they, from a young age? Yeah, I think that what people miss is that there's a million ways to make a living riding dirt bikes, right? Like everybody has in their mind that it's only supercross and outdoors and it has to be on this team or that team. And, um, that's just not true. You know, we have, especially here in America, we have the arena cross series and loads of other ways to make money, you know? Um, and that's what I was trying to tell Jack, you know, like you're not earning money here, like go there and make some money, have some experiences, mature a little bit. And, you know, if it works out, you can come back and ride. And, you know, uh, I think he's he's slowly learning to love it. It wasn't exactly what he wanted to do. You know, he wanted to be good at Supercross right off the bat and score a ride and, you know, ride off into the sunset. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great option for kids, uh, young guys, to learn and expand their horizons and get out of uh, reading jerseys of the people that they've raced their whole life that they think they should or shouldn't beat or whatever the case is. And um, I think more people should do it. Yeah, it's a great point, mate. Obviously, it's sort of refreshed and recalibrated his focus. And yeah, I think he's still adapting to the English weather from what he was saying, but that just comes part and parcel like Brad and you all know very well. And I also wanted to get your thoughts on Prado Racing Supercross. Obviously, massive step up. He's, you know, MXGP champ racing the 450 Supercross. It's not like a lot of the guys, they do the 250 first. So it's a massive step, mate. Do you think he'll be fine with it? Do you think he'll adapt perfect? Obviously, he's so good at starting. He's a very precise, intelligent rider. But like you say, you probably know better than everyone, mate, racing it and riding are two different things so how do you think you'll go and your expectations is a top 10 would be pretty good to start with wouldn't it i think it's realistic though um in my opinion I th it would be great but i think it's almost setting the bar a little bit low um i think he's going to do really well i think he's one of the, one of if not the best starter in the world right now and that's such a huge key piece of supercross especially in those first five six seven minutes of the race 
if you can be at the front and let those gaps grow a little bit, man, I think he can, I think he can really do a good job. I think he can win a heat race maybe. And I think that there's chance that, you know, he can get a top five or a podium. Even I think he learns quick. I saw him riding supercross back in 2017 when he was over riding with TLD and he was already like pretty good. And the videos I've seen of him most recently, he looks looks really good. And, you know, fitness is not going to be a question. I think there's definitely going to be a little bit of racecraft to be learned and understood. But I think there's n- no way, you know, the naysayers are, are going to eat the words, I believe. The bikes uh, are obviously slightly different in America than they are to the GPs. Um, but in terms of actual starts and things, are they much different? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what they have there compared to what they have here. Um, I think, you know, as far as it, this is totally an assumption on my part, um, as far as electronics and stuff go, I think that everything's a pretty close to the same, uh, on both sides of the pond, um, for, for that group. Uh, obviously there's some, uh, big chassis options in Europe that they can use, but here, I think they've made a lot of changes this year from what I understand and what I hear. Um, so to me, I don't, I don't think he's going to struggle with anything, uh, resource wise on the bike. Yeah. obviously we saw Tom Vial come over this year, another renowned starter from the GP just didn't seem to bring that same intensity, if you will, off the start in the supercross and in the outdoors just kind of seemed to struggle initially. Do you think do you foresee Prado having a similar issue, maybe just the the pressure of the situation or just the not being used to those riders around him? Um, I, I don't see a big issue. Like I said, I definitely think that there's going to be some racecraft type stuff to be learned. But I also think that he's a world champion. Uh, you know, he's a world champion for a reason. So to me, he's he's going to figure all that out pretty quick. Typically, the tracks start off a little bit more mellow for Supercross. You know, they don't want to like blow everybody up right off the bat. So if we see a mellow A one, I think he's he's on for a good finish. Yeah, obviously it's you know going to be a massive season ahead, and A one's going to be fascinating. The field's so stacked. I guess who are your favourites heading in? Do you lean towards Sexton, Jed, or Tomac? Obviously, Tomac coming back from the injury, he's going to be working away so hard, and he's not going to come back if he doesn't think he can win, is he? So I guess Tomac's going to be really fascinating to see how he goes. And do you think Jet can get it done in the rookie season like he did in motocross? Obviously, Paris Supercross was a nice taster on the four fifty Supercross, but you know you can still extract some positives from that too. But I guess come A one, it'll be pretty fascinating to see all those storylines unfold as well as Sexton going to the KTM. Yeah, no doubt. I think that we have a, a really good season coming up. Um, hopefully everybody can stay healthy and it's, you know, it lives up to the hype. For me, I think I think Eli is the favorite somehow. Um, I just think that he has the least amount of change. Um, he's probably feeling pretty fresh after a couple months off. I don't see any issues with this injury. Like it's, you know, with sports science and sports medicine these days, it's pretty straightforward. I I think he's the favorite. I think Jet's going to win races for sure and challenge. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he runs away with it. Who knows? We saw that in outdoors, obviously. <laughs> it was pretty impressive. But um, to me, I think I think that the championship's mostly between those two. I'd really like to see Jason get back in there, get back to that 2022 kind of form he had with seven race wins and all that. Coop's going to be rejuvenated on the Yamaha, so... I think there's just a lot of really good storylines uh, leading up to the season, but Eli's probably my favorite. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's going to be so favorite cool. for the title. 
Yeah, it's going to be so good. I remember you mentioned that on the Pulp Show a little while ago, and there was a few wows going on when you mentioned that, but you can't doubt the man. He's a machine. He should have won the last, obviously, he's won one of the last two, should have won both of the last two. And another guy that you know extremely well, Kenny Rocks, and he's just so happy at the moment. He's refreshed. He's kind of had a little bit of a mini preseason, so maybe that will hold him in good stead to come out more firing than the others at A1 with the WSX stuff he's been doing. But it's impressive how well he adapts to everything. Obviously, he did the outdoors that one round and just held his own. He did the MXOE, he did the SMX, he did Supercross, world supercross he's done it all mate so happy on that program he loves the freedom he's just in a really good place right now isn't he mate yeah i would agree with that um i've done a little bit of training with kenny over the past couple months and um yeah he's always just keen honestly like he's just excited to do it you know and uh we were kind of talking about it a couple weeks ago and i I was kind of asking him like you know what what's the deal you know because i know i know he has sort of a new diet and new um no no trainer and i was like you know what's what's the deal like what's the difference and he was like honestly like i just decided that it was going to be my passion to do this stuff and figure it out and get get better and um it's working and i was like yeah like for sure it's, it's working and um like you said i think he's just in a really good spot and when you're happy you know the results come so he's one of the most talented guys to ever ride a dirt bike in my opinion and is always capable of winning races so he's another one that's just going to be right there in the mix so you you moved off of off of the, the Geico Honda at the end of um, at the end of fourteen to fourteen. Oh yes, what was almost a KTM as near as as near as can be without it being orange. What what kind of are some of the things that you struggled with and some of the things that you found better? Because obviously Chase has moved off of the Honda to the KTM, which is obviously the steel frame, etc. Uh yeah. So for me, like I raced um, KTM's my whole amateur career, so it was more of like a homecoming than um something strange you know where i'd ri- ridden an aluminum frame my whole life and then it's this new steel frame thing it was for me it was quite the opposite um i didn't really find any challenges i found um a little bit more of the steve dixon uh attitude of like hey we're going racing for fun um whereas geico was super corporate and you know for me it, it was more always about the atmosphere than the bike i, I just thrived on um having fun and fun people around me and um everybody being happy with what i you know what i was producing basically um so it was it was a big um paradigm shift for me that i was back to like you know i went from where where i felt like i was stuck in america to steve's team and found the passion and found the fun and then i was straight back in the fire you know with geico and then i went there to to rockstar husky and um kind of found that fun again that's that's what was the difference for me um i never really struggled with a bike and i knew we had good equipment and we could get done you know get the job done with what we had so it was um more like a homecoming for me chase yeah like you said you were obviously on steel frames growing up part of the the ktm thing do you think chase is going to struggle trying to adapt to that steel frame or do you think it's He's obviously such a talented rider. Do you think it's just going to be a case of little clicks here and there, just getting himself comfortable? Um, I don't think it's even so much a steel frame, but when you're at that level of winning supercross races or you know being in the top ten in a, in a 450 class, there there's such a fine line of what it takes to be there and how well you know your bike is obviously part of that. Um, and I think it's just it's a massive ask for a guy to change bikes 
even if it's not aluminum frame to steel frame, it's even if it's just like Honda to Yamaha or whatever, I think it's such a fine line um, to find in the matter of, you know, what we call off season, November, December to January. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And also just having no race knowledge, no notes, no, no, how, no feel of that. I think it's going to take him just a little bit longer to, to get adjusted to that. Um, probably go to a one on one thing and end up on something completely different for the second round. So, uh, I think it's just, you know, it's just going to take some time to get that thing going. Maybe not. Maybe he goes out and wins, wins the first three races. I've been wrong a lot in my life. So fair play if he does. Yeah, well said, mate. Totally agree. And just wanted to get a couple more before we let you go. Obviously, the Alden Baker training program, something you know really well, and it's obviously proven in the past to build champions really well. And it's interesting to see the dynamic of guys sort of opting out of that. Obviously, Vial and Sexton on the KTM aren't doing it, but you've still obviously got the other guys like Mookie, Craig, and AP. Just your thoughts on how good is it? It's obviously extremely brutal, extremely demanding, and it's definitely all in and it puts you through your pace as well and truly. So I guess it builds a pretty formidable mindset as well, but it must be extremely challenging while you're right in the trenches around this time of year as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's definitely a ra- race proven program, but I think that, you know, they're at a point where they have to produce some results with some 450 guys, which I think is possible. You know, those, those guys are super talented. AP, Mookie, and Christian are all talented guys. So I think it's just kind of lost a little bit of theme or speed here lately but i think you know it just takes a couple of race wins and everybody's back on the game so yeah we'll, we'll see are you really excited to see how mookie goes obviously there's been a lot of buzz and i was talking to jt the other day and he said christian craig was saying he's like a second second and a half faster than everyone on the test track so actually flying at the test track mate so how excited are you to see mookie back out there refreshed and injury free and fully healthy he should be a pretty good force to be reckoned with once he gets a few races under his belt do you feel that too uh yeah i mean he's definitely not like uh in my sort of top five guys for the championship i don't think but um i'm sure he'll be be fired up and you know i think he's he's definitely a good rider you know he's won championships and he knows how to do it he's got to knock out that first 450 win that's a major milestone that um, once you get that off your back, it frees up a lot of your mind. Um, so, I, you know, I think he, he's looking to do that right off the bat as soon as possible uh, when the season starts. And, um, yeah, hopefully he can do that. Yeah. Um, who do you think wants to look at in the 250 class? Obviously, you've got Deegan, probably one of the favorites. Shimoda, probably another one. But do you think there's anyone that people are sleeping on? I think RJ is always capable of winning, winning races for sure. Um, I would love for him to see, love to see him, you know, step up and um, get into sort of a championship role uh, this, this season. I think it's time, you know, he's, he's getting older. He's 26 now ish. Um, and I think he's more than capable of doing that. So I'd really, really like to see RJ step up and make it happen. Um, I think Max, everyone's sleeping on Max. I think Max is a really good rider. Um, in a good spot, happy with his team, you know, happy with his bike, all that stuff. I think Max is going to be really good. Um, and yeah, I'm interested to see. Uh, I think Shimoda, obviously, those guys you mentioned are all title title contenders. Shimoda, Deegan. Um, I'm interested to see how Kitchen goes on the Cowie. I think that's a big question mark for me. When you say Max, you mean Max Anstey or Max Voland? Max Anstey. Yeah, why do why do you think uh, Max Bolin will fare? Obviously, again moving to the pro circuit team. Yeah, I think he'll be good. Um, I think he's got you know obviously he's got to overcome those uh, missed main events. That's not 
not ideal. No matter how fast you are, how many races you can win, if you're not in every main event, it's going to be really hard to win a title. So I think he can. He needs to have just a more well-rounded year and shoot for championship next year, maybe. Yeah, awesome, mate. We really appreciate you taking the time to have a chat to us. It's been a brilliant podcast. We've enjoyed hearing all your insight. And just before I let you go, any final thoughts on anything? Are you heading to A1? And we definitely wish you all from MX Vice a top Christmas of the family and a brilliant 2024. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Merry Christmas. Um, I don't think I'm going to A1 at the moment. Um, maybe if something pops up, I might head out there. But yeah, I'm lo- just looking forward to see how this uh, all unfolds for Supercross. I think it's going to be a really good season. Like I said earlier, I think we... Uh, like often we have a season where we could have 10 winners, but there will probably only be three or four. We always come in with this major hype, but I think that the the contenders and the pretenders will sort themselves out pretty quick right off the bat, honestly. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Let you have a final word too, Brad. I'll just thank the sponsor for the second part of this one in AS3 Performance Parts, the home of aftermarket motocross enduro parts from hardware and protection parts, including skid plates and radiator braces to performance cooling parts, including silicon radiator hoses and oversized impeller kits. AS3 also have a huge range of brake, clutch and gear levers, all with different features and adjustability. Check them out online at www.asreperformance.co.uk. So all the best, Brad. Thanks for taking the time, mate. Any final thoughts from you as well? Uh, no, just a thank you to Yamaha UK again to uh, for supplying us with a, a 24YZ450 to do all of our product testing on. They've, uh, they've been good as gold. And uh, even strokes as well. If you're in the market for some motocross gear or motocross parts, head on over to evenstrokes.com. All right, no worries, lads. Thanks for taking the time and all the best, Zacho. We look forward to speaking again soon and have a top Christmas. Awesome, have a good one, guys.